Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 44th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We would like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Digital War Room, one of the leading platforms for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is 77% of lawyers can't be trusted with confidential client data. We're delighted to welcome our friend, Bob Ambrosi, who is a Massachusetts lawyer and journalist who has covered legal technology and the internet for two decades. He writes the Ambrosian Tech column for the ABA Journal, and his blog, Law Sites, launched in 2002, is in the ABA Journal Blog 100 Hall of Fame. Since 2005, he has co-hosted the legal affairs podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, also here on the Legal Talk Network. Great to have you with us today, Bob. Well, thank you, Sharon and John. It's a real honor to be here. You know, recently, Bob, I I read where you had written about a new survey that looked at file sharing and security in the legal industry. It was absolutely a a brilliant piece. I really enjoyed reading it. And it it didn't come out too well for the lawyers, as you know. So give us the background on who conducted the survey and what it covered. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, LexisNexis did the survey, I guess their business of law section. And it wasn't a a hugely extensive survey. Uh, I think they had about close to 300 respondents. But essentially, they were looking at security measures employed by lawyers when file sharing with their clients, whether by email or through uh, cloud services uh, or otherwise. Uh, and they they talked to, uh, the lawyers they talked to were mostly uh, uh, practicing attorneys. They also had a couple of paralegals and some administrative people and uh Again, mostly, I think three quarters of them were at uh, firms of 10 or fewer attorneys, and uh, roughly half of them were actually at solo or two-attorney firms. So uh, that's kind of who they were, uh, and uh, uh, you know, it was really just to kind of look at what kinds of practices uh, lawyers are employing here and what their awareness uh, was of the security issues that they should be thinking about. So, so Bob, as this, the survey I'm sure hit a lot of different topic areas, but what was the major finding that, that they came back with? Well, I think the big uh, finding was there's a, a kind of a, a disconnect here between what lawyers say and what lawyers do, perhaps, that that the majority of lawyers are well aware uh, that there are uh, ethical responsibilities on them to protect client data and that... Uh, the uh, ramifications of breaching those requirements, that, that allowing data to be shared in an unauthorized way could be very consequential for both their clients and for them. Uh, and yet, even though they are well aware of this, they're not, <laughs> they're not doing what they should be doing necessarily. I, you know, I, to, to folks, uh, I'm sure to you guys, uh, this is not a big surprise, uh, but probably the biggest headline to me that jumped out of this was was the email finding which is that you know when asked what are you doing to protect 
client privilege communications via email, 77% of them said, well, I'm putting that little confidentiality paragraph <laughs> in the bottom of the email that we all know and love. Yeah. And, and, and that has so much meaning. <laughs> you know, I wrote a blog post about this and I analogized it to my saying, you know, if I, if I were to leave a, a document on a table with the title, uh, my deepest, darkest secrets and, and wrote right under the title, please do not read this unless you're someone I intended to read this. <laughs> uh, how good is that going to be in protecting my deepest, darkest secrets? So it, that was pretty shocking to me. It, I mean, that's fine to put that message in there, but they are not, uh, at the same time, they're not encrypting their email. Only 22% of lawyers here said that they are using uh, encryption. So that's, you guys know this stuff better than I do, but I, I, I find that just, uh, just uh, astounding. Yeah, we do too. It's very confusing to me, and I think to John, that in this day and age, when everybody's talking about data breaches all the time, um, and when it's clear you have to do something, why are they doing nothing? And most of them are doing nothing, especially at the, the solo to small firm level. Um, and we've even been trying to preach to them that, okay, if you think encryption of email is hard, at least encrypt the attachment, which is easy, right. because all they have to do is put a password on a PDF document or a Word document and that will en encrypt the um, the attachment. And so send the sensitive data that way. But they're not even doing that. So why do you think they're so resistant, Bob? Well, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head when you just said they, they think that it's hard. I, I mean, I think there is a perception that, that encryption is a difficult process. And it, and it used to be. I mean, it, it used to be this um, exchange, uh, sort of manual exchange of keys, uh, public and private keys that was uh, could, could confound uh, even the experts who wanted to use encryption. But, you know, it, it isn't that way anymore, and it's it's getting easier and easier. I mean, just this week, you know, Google announced that it's going to soon be uh, releasing a, a Chrome plugin that would allow end-to-end -end encryption in Gmail. It's not out yet, but it's going to be out uh, shortly, according to uh, what Google has said. Uh, you won't even have to think about it once that plugin is enabled. Uh, it's also just this week uh, another new startup uh, was in the news called Proton Mail, which uh, also has a, a free, true end-to-end -end encryption service. It's encrypted on your uh, device, uh, and to the extent it moves through their servers, it remains encrypted on their servers. Unfortunately, I checked them last night and saw that they were actually got so trounced uh, with traffic that they're not currently taking any. Uh, They've shut down new signups at least temporarily till they can adjust their servers. But, <laughs> but you know there are other are, are other options. Uh, there are kind of plugins that work uh, with Outlook or with uh, some of the web-based uh, email programs that do make it uh, pretty brainless to uh, to encrypt uh, emails. Uh, the only inconvenience is generally that both the sender and the uh, receiver have to be using the same the same software. E easy for the brainless. I don't. It, it, are, are you referencing lawyers? <laughs> When you use that term. <laughs> when it comes to technology, I'll take yeah, I take the fifth too. Okay. Well, I think, though, that certainly the services are getting easier and, and better too. I mean, you don't even have to be using the same service. I mean, you know, uh, ser services like Zixmail, as an example, will still maintain encrypted email communications, and you don't both have to be party to that. So, you know, there's other alternatives there too to deal with the email, but I think a lot of lawyers. You're right. I think they, they think that it's too difficult. But but what about file sharing? I mean, things like, like Dropbox and Box, I know folks are pushing that data around. And it, it really, 
it bothers me because I know attorneys are, are telling me that they're using uh, Dropbox as an example to, um, to produce evidence in a, in a case to opposing parties. I mean, that, that sounds kind of scary to me. Uh, yeah, well, again, this, this survey, uh, going back to the survey, uh, asked the question uh, of whether they're using the free consumer file sharing services such as Dropbox or Box uh, to share client privileged communications, and uh, in this survey, uh, it was just a little over half who said they were. It said fifty two point five percent. I mean, I think other surveys we've seen out there. I think, they, as I recall, I don't have it in front of me. I think the ABA survey had a had a much higher number. Uh, and just just word of mouth from people you talk to, it seems that uh, it's hard to find a lawyer who isn't using Dropbox these days. Whether they're using it for confidential documents uh, may be another question, but uh, it's so commonly used. Uh, right. And, uh, you know, there are, again, uh, and again, you guys are the, are the security experts here. I mean, I, talking to you about security is like, you know, it's like John Kerry calling me for foreign policy advice or something. <laughs> uh, Maybe he but, should, uh, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Especially recently. <laughs> yes, but, well, but you know there are ways to use Dropbox and Box uh, securely. I mean, there are ways to encrypt uh, files before you send them to Dropbox and, and have them sitting in Dropbox in an right, encrypted right. state and uh, make them available to other others uh, through Dropbox, but still protecting their uh, security. Uh, and so even there, uh, you know, it's incumbent on lawyers to understand. Uh, the the security uh, protections that are the, the levels of security available at a, at a cloud provider and to understand what they can do about that if if they feel the need to use that or what the other options are. Yeah, we often find that they just don't know um, and they don't understand that they should encrypt. They they don't understand the ramifications. They don't know that Dropbox will give stuff over to law enforcement. So a lot of this is based on on ignorance. And once they're told, uh, they're happy to remediate. I'm I'm curious. I would guess just without without looking even at the survey that the size of the law firm makes a huge difference and that the smaller you are the less you do is is that true uh, with security measures according to the survey Bob uh, well that that is what they found that uh, the larger uh, the firm the more likely they were to use uh, have better security uh, in place uh, both for file sharing uh, and uh, for email I was looking at the survey again this morning and I don't think they even Touched on on mobile device security, which of course is is uh, is probably a major uh, hole in the ground uh, that they haven't talked about. But but for example, uh, at a firm of uh, what the survey found is at a firm of one hundred or more attorneys, sixty percent of those firms are reporting that they're using encrypted email, uh, or at least sixty percent of the respondents from those firms said they're using encrypted email. Uh, whereas at a solo or a small firm, um, only 20%, 28% rather, um, uh, of the lawyers said that they were encrypting their email. And uh, I'm sure there are any number of reasons uh, for this, uh, some being simply just what we've discussed before already, which is uh, either a lack of knowledge about how to use encryption or fear of using encryption or even a lack of awareness of the need to use encryption. And certainly at a larger firm where they're likely to have uh, IT staff in place and uh, you know pay greater attention to this uh, sort of thing, uh, then they're more likely to have security measures uh, in place that will protect them. 
Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. Don't be caught unprepared for e-discovery. Digital War Room e-discovery software allows you to search, review, mark, and produce responsive email and documents. Powerful enough for your biggest cases, but easy enough for first-time e-discovery attorneys. Geeks need not apply. Digital War Room has a solution for every client, every case, and every budget. Visit www.digitalwarroom.com for a free trial and see how easy e-discovery can be. Make your next case your best case with Digital War Room. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today our topic is 77% of lawyers can't be trusted with confidential client data. So we hope not too many of their clients are listening. Our guest today is Bob Ambrosi, who is a Massachusetts lawyer and journalist and who has covered legal technology and the Internet for two decades. Bob, how common is it that clients have been hurt by their lawyer's failure to handle their data securely? And do you think we know only the tip of the iceberg about that? Well, I think that's the real problem is I don't think we know. Um, a couple of weeks ago or something, the New York Times had a, had a nice little article about this. Uh, it, it made exactly that point that the problem is firms that do have uh, data breaches of some kind uh, are not very likely to tell us about it. So there's no formal reporting for this sort of thing. And uh, it's probably uh, equally true that uh, the firms themselves may not know <laughs> that this has happened until sometime after the fact. I remember a, a couple of years ago, there was a somewhat n- notorious case out of, out of Canada where a number of Canada's, I think it was something like eight or something of, of, of the largest firms in Canada uh, were all hacked into uh, by uh, uh, supposed uh, Chinese hackers that were trying to uh, derail a major uh, uh, company acquisition that the firms were all working on. And, uh, of course, it wasn't until sometime subsequent that the firms even realized this had happened to them. And uh, that only came out through other means. So I think we have no idea what the extent of this is. And part of my commentary to that is that we have 46 states with data breach notification laws, and I think that law firms are choosing to ignore uh, their their duty to comply because they're more afraid of bad PR and losing clients than they are of any kind of enforcement since these laws have no teeth. Yeah, and well, actually, and you know, here in Massachusetts, we actually have data protection laws that require small businesses, require businesses of any kind, essentially, to have in place a, a data security policy, a written data security policy and protocol. And uh, I, th- I think that's another one that's being observed more in the breach than in the uh, following of it. I think a lot of firms aren't even aware of it or aware that they might be expected to comply with it. Hmm. Yeah, I know you guys have probably one of the tougher ones in the in the country there too. But we, we've talked, Bob, a little bit about en- encryption and, and what, what attorneys should be doing. And, you know, certainly I'm a big proponent of that, that, you know, encryption by default. I think that's going to be my new mantra for for this coming year. But what should lawyers be doing to protect their data? You know, is it only encryption or are there other things that they can they can do to protect their data? You know, I I think the the, uh, key thing for lawyers to remember now is this uh, growing trend in legal ethics uh, that that lawyers have a duty to be at least uh, 
competent about technology. Uh, the ABA uh, model rules were amended a couple of years ago to raise this duty, and uh, a, a few states have actually explicitly adopted it so far. And I know, I know, again, here in Massachusetts, where I am, they're actively considering adopting that rule. Uh, there have been a number of uh, states that have looked at the ethics of cloud computing, that have looked at uh, the ethics of, of email. I think it's important for lawyers to understand, I don't think uh, they need to be data security experts. I don't think they need to be technology experts per se. What I always say is that they need to know what they don't know and when they need to get help on it. And, you know, there are there are a lot of simple steps, for example, you know, for example, with email, uh, encryption is not that hard and you could probably spend uh, uh, an hour on, on Google and, and find some really good programs. It's not a lot of work to figure that out. It, working with some of the cloud providers can get a little bit more complex. I mean, there are uh, there is a lot uh, that uh, a lawyer can do in working with a cloud provider in terms of looking at doing their due diligence about the provider and, and looking at the security policies that the provider has in place and the, the backup policies and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, literally, you know, where their servers are located and, and, and uh, how they encrypt data and how they, whether they're encrypting it when it's in rest as well as in transit. It's a whole bunch of things a lawyer can do. But I think... If they feel at all uh, reluctant or, or worried about trying to understand this, then the key is to bring in somebody who does understand it and consult with that person. And I'm not trying to sell consulting services here to, uh, on any part, but I'm just simply saying that if, if a lawyer doesn't know what he or she should be doing or is uncomfortable or uncertain about it, then get professional help. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. And that's that's what Rule 106 in the comments to it actually say that. Um, and and Rule, rule 1.1 on competence, the comment there too. I mean, if you we, we don't expect everybody to be technologists, but we expect you to know the limits of your ignorance and then to find somebody who can help you where, where you need it. And, and I'm somewhat um, confused by, with all the, the news we hear every day online and newspapers and television, whatever, about all the data breaches and all the CLEs that are being taught, why, why are these people... People so, so set in their ways and so unwilling to move forward with data security. Do you think, Bob? <laughs> Boy, if I knew that, um, <laughs> I mean, you'd retire. You'd retire, um, Bob. <laughs> I think it was probably more than more than twenty years ago that I, I I gave my first talk to lawyers about the internet, and I said I remember thinking to myself, "Well, everybody will have this all figured out in a year or two, and I'll have to move on to talking about something else." And uh, they haven't figured it out yet, so. You know, lawyers, of course, are notoriously, you know, fearful of, of technology. And, you know, lawyers are busy. And uh, learning this stuff, figuring this stuff out takes time out of, uh, out of their billable time and uh, out of what uh, little personal uh, or family life they might have left after their billable time. And so th there is just that... Uh, that problem of, of, of finding the time to figure this all out. And, you know, there's a little, there's a little bit of a laziness about it. I mean, uh, yeah, I could just send this email off right now or I could stop and try and figure out what I should do, but I'm in a hurry and I'll send the email. So I don't know. I, you know, again, I think it, I think it only, uh, I think all of this bears out the importance of what we just talked about, which is getting help. I mean, that's the difference between the larger firms and the smaller firms. The larger firms have that help built in in the form of IT and, and other professionals who know what they're talking about and know how to implement these things. The solo and small firm folks just don't have that available to them. 
They have, uh, you know, there are lots of great resources. Uh, you mentioned uh, the uh, ABA Law Practice Management Section, the Legal Technology Resource Center at the ABA, the the local, uh, the state bar associations all have great practice management programs that could advise on this stuff. There, you know, as you say, there are any number of CLEs and programs available. Lawyers just have to understand this is their obligation, and they need to do something about it. So, is, is there anything else, Bob? You think that can get the the lawyers to to pay attention? I guess a little more to information security. I know when Sharon and I go all around the country lecturing on this, it's it's still you know it, it it's sort of the big wake up call <laughs> for some of these lawyers. I'm not sure how many of them act on it, but but I'm also concerned too because a lot of them, I think, in in light of what we're hearing about the capabilities of the NSA, you know, what what's to stop the attorney from sitting there going, ah, to heck with it, I don't need to do anything because somebody's going to look at it anyway. Um, but is are there other things or what? Co- yeah, I sometimes <laughs> wonder whether that just makes them want to throw their hands up in the air and say, forget it. <laughs> exactly, that's the excuse. <laughs> if, I, if I can't protect against the NSA, why bother doing doing anything at all? And then, of course, we haven't seen enforcement actions because some of these law firms that have been breached, they're not only violating the data breach notification laws, they're violating their ethical duties to let their clients know that they've been breached. Yeah. So, you know, we've had no enforcement on the professional ethics end either. Yeah, I mean that's what's going to get lawyers to pay attention. Uh, either either when there start to be malpractice cases, um, or when there get start to be uh, significant ethics consequences for these cases. When you know when, when they when they see that there are possible uh, implications for them, uh, either in their pocketbook in the form of a, a malpractice judgment uh, uh, or in their their license, um, they're going to pay a lot more attention. I, I I just think that's why this that the ABA model rule change a couple of years ago is just so critical. I mean, lawyers arguably had this obligation before that model rule came along to be to be competent in these kinds of technologies and tools that they use and to be uh, at least diligent about them. But that really underscores that this is an ethical issue, and uh, it, when there start to be malpractice cases, and there will be, uh, then that's that's really going to drive it home. Well, that's when we'll have to redo our PowerPoint, John, and make sure that we include uh, the enforcement actions taken either by the government or by uh, professional regulatory bodies. <laughs> yeah, and I should say the uh, I just want to add that just that, that again for lawyers who are out there listening to this that that uh, ABA Legal Technology Resource Center does have uh, that great uh, collection of the cloud uh, ethics opinions and. Uh, I know I just recently pointed out they were missing a couple, but they just updated it now, and I think it's uh, right. almost complete, if not entirely complete. So, uh, it, you know, you can go on there. These, some of these ethics opinions are quite uh, – they don't necessarily all agree, but they generally all agree in sort of setting out uh, some of the due diligence steps a lawyer should take or should, you know, be sure that somebody is taking on their behalf uh, in selecting a cloud provider to use their – to store da- documents. So a very valuable resource there. Well, Bob, I made sure to send your blog post to uh, the Legal Technology Resource Center, yeah. and I, I must say the response was immediate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thank you for helping us clean house and uh, get everything up to date. And thank you also for joining us today, because I think this is a topic um, that a lot of lawyers are, in fact, interested in. And you don't want to be part of the 77% that can't be trusted with client data. So it was really useful to go through this study and, and uh, have, have you uh, lend your knowledge to some of this and, and color commentary as well. Thanks for being with us, Bob. Yeah, thanks. I, I should just mention that, that this whole study is available. Lexis has this, uh, they have a blog called the LexisNexis Business of Law blog, and there's a post there that has a link to the full PDF with the whole study there. Uh, so Great, excellent. And thanks for having me. 
Well, that does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. If you'd enjoyed this podcast, please review us on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's Digital Forensics Technology and Security Services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.